my dad used to tell me, whoever's toes you step on today might belong to the person whose ass you got to kiss tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Whiskey warm to waking in Have some fun while you're here Do you listen, do you hear Hey everybody, it's Lee Michaels again with Patrick Callahan. I'm back again. Uh, yeah. Without a beard. <laughs> you noticed that. <laughs> I told my daughter, I was like, hey, um, I, 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 I bet my wife, like, can I shave it off? And then I'll walk and have a conversation with her, see if she even is. Did not. <laughs> did not notice at all. I was like, you don't even know I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is another episode of Battle Scars, and this time we are with Megan Wallace of Social Contract. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. So we, we last month, or last episode, I guess, we did one on nonprofits, and as we were kind of coming at different stories as they relate to entrepreneurs and different ways that you can sort of uh, run into the business. And your business sounded really intriguing, and Patrick was kind enough to connect us, and so we're eager to hear your story. And, I, and I've seen you at like different points of development, and it's been a fascinating to watch from the outside, whatever. So I'm really excited about talking to you about it no more. So tell us what so Social Contract does. What's uh, so we're a consulting firm first and foremost, mm -hmm. services based. Um, yeah, and we're yeah. in we're. We're primarily based out of Wilmington, Delaware. We just actually opened our first office in Philadelphia. Oh, great. Uh, so we've got about, I would say, six staff that were based in Philly, and so we have an office up there now. Wow. And we primarily work with uh, government foundations, philanthropic foundations, mm -hmm. large, larger nonprofits, and mm -hmm. we do a good amount of pro bono work with smaller nonprofits. And, or I should say, we work with folks who want to work on complex, really you know, multi-sector type challenges uh, that's going to take a lot of folks kind of around a table working together to get a resolution. We do social impact work as a consulting firm. What does okay. that mean? Like, what's social impact? Yeah, give us an example. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, one of the biggest issues we've been working on, not just in Delaware, but now in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, is uh, community gun violence, mm. which everybody is well aware of in the news all the time. A lot of cities across our country face that issue. And so it takes a lot of different partners to kind of come around a table and figure out how to manage through that sort of problem to mm -hmm. get to a resolution. It's not going to be like government comes in and can fix the gun violence problem or the police department can come in and fix the, the gun violence problem or community can do it on its own or any of that kind of stuff. It really takes kind of a cross-sector approach. So we like to kind of be the quarterback, so to speak, uh, quietly behind the scenes kind of coordinating folks and getting that work done. Wow. Whether it's like fundraising work, investment, which leads to investment, or it's um, government coordination and kind of capacity building, all kinds of stuff go along with that, and we, we like to sit in the middle of that. So do you pick a specific issue that you become an expert on, and then you go find clients that fit that, or, or is it a client and they have a need and you kind of build around that? A little bit of both. It didn't okay. turn out that way. So when, when we first started, it was me and a colleague, a former business partner, who had experience in kind of the foundations and nonprofit sector, and I had experience in the government sector, kind of coming up with the idea of social contracts. What would it look like for somebody to sit in the middle of all this and try to help make it happen, you know? And the first clients were, of course, people we knew, you know, or, or agencies we knew or leaders we knew. And over time, we've been able to be a little more discreet about the sorts of projects we take on. But primarily, we're focused on things that I said, you know, like big stuff that requires somebody to come in and help kind of coordinate it and, and get it accomplished. How'd the name come about? Just 
I knew you were going to ask me that. And I was like, I don't have, like, I, it just Make like, something up. It, yeah, it just it came. It says social contract, duh, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was a political science major in college. Yeah. And uh, of course you learn of political theory yeah. and Hobbes and Locke and Rousseau, you know, the social contract right, theory. philosophical. Yeah, a little bit. And yeah. um, it just seemed to fit. It, and no one else had it. I love it. had it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Tell us about your, like, you, so you're from Delaware, yeah. born here, and yeah. tell us the progression. So I, I grew up, uh, so my, actually, I'm like a long-time Delawarean, so okay. I'm multi-generational. So uh, my mom's side, at least, it, it tracks back to, you know, the powder mills. So oh, the wow. Irish no coming way. to the DuPont powder mills. Wow. And um, I am, I think, like a third or fourth generation Delawarean. Wow. And... We're from like the Wilmington area, so you know it's funny because I actually I my first house that I bought was in uh, the uh, Byard Square area of Wilmington, and my grandparents met at St. Elizabeth High School, oh and so I li- and they both lived in the same neighborhood that I bought my first oh, house. Oh wow! So, yeah, so I go. So I bet back. a lot of your clients yeah. you played with <laughs> in first grade, you know, or you, not really. Yeah. I mean, I most of most of them I met. I, not a lot of people from my neighborhood went into government, believe oh. it or not. So, <laughs> uh, so I met most of my clients from my you know, where I started in government, my career. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm from Delaware. I met my husband in my high school. So we're high school sweethearts. Wow. And we're about to actually go on our anniversary is March 5th. So it's coming up in like no time at all. Wow. That'll be 18 years. Holy wow. cow. Yeah. Yeah. So then I got, I started, I went to university of Delaware and actually I, my first job out of college, it was kind of, we were coming off the recession. Yeah. It was 2010. So it was like kind of just still coming off of it. I remember that. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> a banker and, said, yeah. stop watching TV. Yeah. <laughs> uh, luckily, I was totally aloof, you know, yeah. like, other than like, I need to find a job more creatively. And so I applied for Teach for America and I got in and I went to Washington, D.C. And well, so in, did you do internships or anything like that during in college? college? I, yeah. I interned for Senator Coons. Okay. Oh, yeah. that, like I said, I was a political science major. And a women's studies major, mm-hmm. uh, and they told us nobody's going to get a job in women's studies. But of course, here I am. So yeah. I had to make a job. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I interned for Senator Coons, and I used to take the train from like Newark, the Mark train, the public train. Yeah. It was like twelve dollars. I had no money, you know. <laughs> right. Like, somehow I just would I would like borrow money from my parents and stuff, and I would take the train to DC for my internship. How did you and get he that was internship? Right in office. What I don't even know. I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember how I got Oh, it. he had just started in yeah, office. Yeah, he had just okay. started cuz he was yeah. appointed after Biden uh, became the vice president. Yeah. So, I think he like he was just building up his staff and stuff. I don't remember how I got the job, honestly. Okay. Yeah. yeah I wish I did. I just like to know that the history of like where you studied and the interns yeah, that affected you. Yeah. I don't remember. And somehow I got the internship and I took the March train every whatever days of the week that I went down there and I realized like I this is interesting and also i'm clearly a grunt <laughs> you know, clearly a grunt so it was it was a good experience though you know yeah and then i ended up teaching in dc so i um oh, wow. it was it was nice because i felt a little more comfortable there but i after college when i did teach for america i was placed in washington dc wow yeah at teach for america they've done amazing things like yeah. the people you meet there yeah i'm sure you still keep in touch apparently with. i was just talking to a friend actually and i was like what is it about you know because i was talking to her about finding Teacher America people to do work. You know, okay. like they're really smart people and blah, blah, blah. And she had this theory about our year of Teacher America. I was like, why is it that everybody we know that's doing really interesting, Ryan Harrington, yeah, other yeah. people that we know doing really interesting stuff, and they're all from like our year of 2011. And she was like, it was the recession. Yeah, It was like Teacher America opened up like recruitment and got really selective with people that year. Oh. 
And so you have, it's, it, uh, this is her theory, right? Like it's, you, you have like people who were like pretty stellar, so to speak, right? That came out of that year. And I've got to work with like really good people from that year. I hope they, I mean, they, they, I, it was a good experience. I learned a lot. And, um, now I, I try to steal people from, them, right. you know, try to just steal their We'll talent. edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. But I do think there's something to that. Like out of every recession is born some yeah. of the best businesses and because you've got to eat, yeah, right? right? And you um, got to figure out how to make something valuable that a client's going to buy or yeah. you know, something on those lines. Yeah. What were you doing just before social contract? Uh, I had worked for just before. I, I mean, I'd worked in the legislature for the most time. So mm-hmm. I was a legislative aide in the Delaware legislature. Yeah. And that's a funny story because I thought like I got, we after got it. Chris Coons like I, and after Teacher America, which was like everybody told me, oh, it's so selective. You're so special. I applied for this job in the Delaware legislature and I was like, oh, pfft. You know, I'm right. a shoe in here, right. clearly. And I didn't get the job. <laughs> and I was, like, shocked by this, you know. And Sean Finnegan was, uh, at the time, the chief of staff for the House in the job I had applied for. And he, like, called me and told me, like, hey, we'll, we'll be looking for, you know, somebody soon. Just, like, you know, would you give us, an, you know, the, would you consider it, you know, even though we didn't hire for you this position? I said, sure. And at the time, my husband was deployed overseas. And so... I wasn't really looking for, like, I kind of moved home from D.C. while he was gone and just to be around family and, and stuff. And I was trying to figure out, I didn't know if I was going to be a teacher or, like, if I was going to get into something else. And this job kind of opportunity opened up. And so after that happened, he, he called me when Eugene Young, uh, who later ran for mayor in Wilmington, mm-hmm. was going to work for Cory Booker uh, in the U.S. Senate. And so the, Eugene's job opened up. And so would I take it? And I ended up taking it. And I ended up working in the house for like three years. And I really learned so much. And that's kind of where I feel like I got my career trajectory, you know, kind of where I started. What were you doing? Like, what was... Uh, I worked for two... You, The way that they have it is like aides in either chamber end up kind of working for a couple different legislators. And so I worked for, at the time, Helene Keeley and Dennis E. Williams, not the former mayor, a different guy. I just, I would work on constituent relations. And then as I stayed there for longer, I got to work on policy stuff. So actual writing bills. Yeah. And I, I really felt like, um, I remember uh, Representative Longhurst, Val Longhurst, uh, wanted to do a women's package of legislation. It was like 2014. And I was like, finally, I can put my degree to use. Yeah, we all say <laughs> that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we did like 14 bills to advance kind of women's rights in Delaware. Wow. Um, and we did all kinds of cool stuff like um, campus sexual assault, uh, paid family leave, all these sorts of bills. And I got to actually write the language of some of the bills wow. and really work with the stakeholders that wow. cared about the stuff or would be upset about it. And I got I, that's where I feel like I really found some sort of interest or love of like government and policy work. And after that, I also kind of simultaneously got really interested in Delaware education because I had come from, you know, TFA and D.C. And I was like, I don't know anything about Delaware. I, I grew up here. I don't yeah, know right. anything about it. You went right. to school. You're yeah, an expert. Yeah. And I don't know anything. <laughs> and so I, I got kind of as a constituent, you know, or as a citizen, I got interested in Delaware education. And at some point, one of my legislators that I was working with advocated to Governor Markell that I sit on the Wilmington Education Advisory Committee. It was this thing that Governor Markell created kind of in response to some political outcry after he did something, you know, or his his DOE did something. And I got appointed to it. And I remember he called me, Governor Markell called me to appoint me to this commission and said, no caller ID, or like, like, (laughs) it was like, you know, blocked. And I was like, I thought it was a bill collector. I was like, who did I not pay? What did I do? And I answered, it was Governor Markell. And he was like, you know, would you sit on this commission? Or, and I was like, 
course, I think that was what gave me an, my inroad into working for him eventually. Hmm. Um, and I, I was his education policy advisor right. at the end of his administration. And, and you know. But there's a story about a binder somewhere in yeah, there. Yeah, the binder. Yeah. Well, this is, okay, so when I was you a don't legislative just get, aide. You, yeah. As a legislative aide, you don't move up that ladder. Yeah, you, you're doing, you're like answering the phone. It's like yeah. Parks and Rec. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> this is my comparison. So working in a, uh, working in the legislature is Parks and Rec. Okay. Working in an agency, more like uh, the office. Okay. And then working in a governor's office is kind of like Veep. <laughs> <laughs> That's my comparison. Yeah. And you've got an... You've got to make the leap somehow. So you're in one of these. And so let's talk about the binder. I was working for Helene Keeley, and she was a Wilmington legislator. And actually, a couple of my friends had passed away from opioid overdoses. And when I was in high school, I feel like it was like when people were taking pills. Like for the first time, it was kind of new. Like they were taking, you know, opioid prescription pills. They were prescribed. Yeah, and they were using them recreationally. And I was like, and I remember that, like kind of just happening when I was in high school, which was. 2002, 2006, approximately. And by the time I was working, a couple had passed away from heroin overdoses because mm. they had switched from prescription drugs to heroin. Representative Keeley, it was kind of just on the policy radar or just like starting on the policy radar around 2010 to whatever. And I remember um, Representative Keeley telling me, you know, I want to do something with this. I, I'm interested in this. And I told her about that. I told her I had a couple of friends that had just passed away. One of them was actually from her neighborhood like that she represented then i she she said i have a meeting with the secretary of health and the governor could you just like help me get prepared for that that was common you know that's something you help them do and so i just kind of went down a rabbit hole on the on the health and social services website trying to find whatever data they had from public health or whatever on opioids or overdoses and at that time you know, this was 15 years ago um, or 10 years ago. They didn't have much. And so I started piecemealing everything together and researching stuff, you know, policy stuff or otherwise. And I put together this binder for her where I had all the, whatever research, like data-wise I could find mm. on overdoses and, um, or just use of, you know, these substances, that sort of thing. And we went to this meeting in the governor's office. And this is my first time in the governor's office. I'd never been up there. And, and we were on the like 11th floor or the 10th floor <laughs> of the building, and they were on like the 12th floor, like the top floor. <laughs> and so it was like, I remember like the, you know, feeling a little out of place. Yeah. And I got up there and we were sitting at this big conference table. Mm-hmm. I know, you know the, the one that I talked about. And yeah. even today, if I walk in there, I still get intimidated by it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's all purpose. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so I like sit next to her at this big conference table and Governor Markell is like sitting at the head of the table on the other side and he has a policy advisor sitting next to him, the, secre- the secretary at the time, Rita Langraf, who's become like a mentor to me, actually. They're talking and I just remember feeling like, wow, is this what this is like? Like I, I all of a sudden did not feel intimidated, mm-hmm. right? Like it just felt like a normal conversation. They were just trying to all get up to speed. <laughs> and... Uh, I kept referencing stuff to my representative in the binder, like, bring this point up, or how about this, you know? And then at some point, Governor Markell said to me, what is that you have over there? <laughs> and I said, oh, it's just, you know, some research that I did. He said, can I see that? And he, like, I bring the binder down to the end of the table and show him to me. He's like, can you make me a copy of this? And I was like, really? Wow. That's what it takes, you know? <laughs> it's like the binder that you had in yeah. junior year of high school yeah, that yeah. you pulled out yeah. the trapper keeper. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I just felt much less intimidated by the whole prospect yeah. of, you know, working with the governor's office or a cabinet secretary or 
it just it it felt much less intimidating. It just felt like, oh, well, I could do this. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's the binder story. Yeah. yeah. But then he, after that, that's when you really got to know him well. Well, right? he was really good at, and I love Jack Markell. Mm-hmm. He was really good at knowing people's names. And, mm-hmm. like, like, I remember even as an aide, like, it wasn't just my experience. It was others as well. Like, whenever we would go up there, and even in being, like, photo ops or something, like your rep was in a photo op with him about something or other, he would always remember our names, and, like, to me, like, I've taken that away. Like, that's a really important thing for leaders to do, you know, is just it's acknowledge people, remember them. And it, but it really matters to people. Yeah. Sure. And he was really good at that. So at some point or another, I ended up working for him. Yeah. <laughs> I think because of the education work, I mean, that's what I ended up doing for him. But, yeah, he was, I think, a combination of him making you not feel intimidated and, you know, my own gusto, I guess, like... Yeah, and there's something about, like, you and people who aren't in here today notice, like, would notice if they were, that you have this confidence that's not, like, a, it's more of a cur- curious confidence. You're not afraid to ask a question. Because I remember going into the governor's office when you were working with our current uh, Governor Carney, and uh, I was like, this person just, I mean, I was shaking because my first time in there, and uh, you just, like, challenged back you you weren't afraid <laughs> but i think it was a, a natural curiosity that you had coming out of everything else that you did, did before yeah uh, built on top of that and probably yeah. also preparation it sounds like you were really prepared for this meeting which gave you confidence to you know be able to answer the questions and stuff like that yeah. And, yeah. and that means a lot i think all too often we feel like people look like they're winging it and it looks like that's the easy way to do it but there's you know, it, if you spend the time and, and really put in like our first pitches to clients and stuff like that, like really putting in the time yeah. to get it right, it, you know the product cold, you, you're able to speak about it. Yeah. And I think that, that no, probably really comes important. through. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Yep. My uh, Jack Markell, I've got two Jack Markell stories. Um, oh, we got 20. <laughs> <laughs> after we sold Archer, I was uh, head of Started Up Delaware, which was trying to promote yeah. entrepreneurship and stuff. And he obviously were very involved with him. We were trying to get money and, and all that. Every time I met him, I felt like he's not going to know my name. So every time I would introduce myself, you know, it's Lee Michaels, you know, just, and, and yeah. finally one time he goes, I know your name, Lee. <laughs> just stop me. And, and the other one was when we were opening Started Up Delaware, he was there for the ribbon cutting. And you got those big, big ass scissors. And yeah. he, I hand them to him and he goes, do they work? I, said, I don't know. <laughs> so I had to run and find another pair of scissors. So clearly he'd been through this enough yeah. that he knows those things generally don't work. And then he looks like an idiot doing yeah. that. Yeah. So he's there doing that. And I'm like right behind him. If you look in the picture, I'm like sneaking like this with an actual yeah. scissors that actually did the cutting. So that feels like a good uh, analogy for politics. You know, somebody's <laughs> behind the scene actually. <laughs> so now, so bring us forward. All right. You're, you're in the governor's office, and, and so tell us, when did social social contract? When was the the idea of it born? Or uh, did you say I got to make this a business? I didn't really have. It wasn't like this like moment or anything. But I remember. So Governor Markell left office in January 2017. We were all everybody in that office, and this is true regardless of administration, right? is always trying to figure out, am I going to be part of the next administration or am I going to be out of my butt? So I remember I had tried to, I had kind of put out feelers with Governor Carney's administration, incoming administration, the mayor's incoming administration, and just hadn't really landed anywhere. And so I wasn't sure what was going to happen to me. And then I kind of got ushered into DOE, Department of Education, Mm -hmm. which obviously I was the policy advisor to the governor for that. And so they were like, we need you to help 
you know, prepare the next cabinet secretary for the position, which was Secretary Bunting at the time. So I did that, and I was basically in, like, a policy position in her office, but wow. without, like, a clear role. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it was kind of just, like, through a transition. And so I felt like at some point I was kind of going to get the boot, you know, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I hadn't really, I don't remember if I was even applying for jobs or what I was doing, but I just hadn't figured out what I was going to do. And around that time, Paul McConnell, who you guys probably know, he's yeah. a real estate uh, developer in Wilmington. 1313, right? Yeah, 1313. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul like took a liking to me and he, he grew up in the same neighborhood as me. Okay. Outside of Wilmington, which is the Richardson Park area. So he mainly wanted to, when I first met him, we would mainly talk about education issues that he was interested in or invested in and that sort of thing. He said to me at one point, you know, you should start a business. And he has kind of a reputation for this, like, you know, telling people you should start a business. And my dad was an entrepreneur and my grandfather was, so my grandfather owned a mason company. He was a mason and he owned, ended up owning his own company. Wow. And then my dad, he did fire protection engineer work, which is like designing sprinkler systems. Okay. And so he had like stopped working for big companies and was just doing independent like subcontractor work for his whole career, you know, my, most of my childhood. And so I wasn't really afraid of the idea of it. Um, I had kind of been exposed to it. And so I was like, no, yeah, maybe I will do that. You know, he said, and you should start the business with Kat, who I had known professionally for, I don't know, a few years. And I, as from education, so she had started a, um, a nonprofit out of TFA in Delaware that was focused on summer learning loss. And I, I had always thought that, that it was a very creative model that I appreciated because she didn't create like a new program, mm -hmm. you know, like there's a lot of competition in nonprofits and stuff and like people like have an idea and they start a thing and then it's really hard to fund it. You know, it's hard for them to be sustainable, that sort of thing. But what she had done was work with foundations and philanthropy to try to create something that worked with the existing system. Mm. You know, like it didn't, it wasn't a new thing. It was kind of a thing that fit. Yeah. you know, over top of or within an existing structure. And I always thought it was really creative and how we should approach more stuff, mm -hmm. you know. So we, he said, you guys should partner up. So her and I started meeting on the weekends, you oh, know, neat. for coffee and yeah. stuff and trying to, like, come up with, well, what will we do together? You know, well, yeah. you know this and I know that. And what, where do we meet, meet in the middle kind of thing? Yeah, that's how we, that's how we started. I think it was, it was almost six years ago. Yeah. You know, five years, five and a half years ago. And it was at, like, brouhaha's and stuff, you know, we oh, just yeah, came yeah. up with this idea. <laughs> I want to tell you how many businesses brouhaha. <laughs> like, they should have chairs devoted yeah. to that. Because that's, that's exactly, we were sitting there talking, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. We were sitting there having the same discussion when someone came by with Jody Giovanni, you know, and said, um, can you create this website? And yeah. we did. And we're like, that was the yeah, start of the sure. business. Yeah. He's like, I need to talk to you guys. We're like, we're here. Yeah. And I give a lot of credit to Paul because he was also our first client. So that made yeah. it a little easier. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so what did great. you do for him? Uh, so he, he had been investing in and don't, you know, kind of philanthropically, I should say, investing in youth entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So at the Horn program and, uh, and otherwise. And he said, you know, he really wanted us to focus on a problem, which is how we got into consulting, right? Like how it ended up being a consulting firm, which his problem at the time that he wanted to solve was he wanted to solve the fact that there was nothing for high school students really to focus on with entrepreneurship until they got to college. Mm -hmm. um, and so how, what could we, what, what need was there? What could we build? What could we help figure out, you know, to, to look at high school entrepreneurship? And so we built kind of a, a program called Dual School, 
which helped take high school kids. Actually, your son. This was one that your son. Connor. Was yeah. Oh, yeah. He was oh, at Sally's right. at the time. It feels um, like yesterday. And uh, it was for them to work on a passion project. Uh, and then we would provide some structure to that, right? Like, so we would help them learn how to kind of create, you know, like more of the business model of the of their project or like what problem they were solving. We would help them dig into that. So a lot of them just had like big ideas and like how do we narrow into something doable? Wow. And so we worked with high school kids on that. And Neat. that was what we worked with them. That's what Paul funded. Now, were you doing this full time? So was it full time? Did you quit at that point and this was your full time yeah, thing? I, I got pushed in a, a gentle way, I got kind of pushed out, yeah. you know, of the administration. And uh, it was like June 30th, and I started the company. I started social contract on July 17th. Okay. So All right. We, like, filed the paperwork and everything. And then, yeah. then did you start immediately trying to sell the next contract? Is I started that... immediately working on Paul's issue that he was going to okay. help us pay us, pay my, my <laughs> yeah. you know, my rent and all this other stuff. Right, but you knew it wasn't going to... It had, a, it had a fixed time. You right. know it was yeah. going to end. Yeah. Well, I didn't know anything at the time. I just did it. You know, yeah. like, I was like, well, it, I, I'm going to get a paycheck, so let's do that. Yeah. Um, and I was, it was, I was excited about the opportunity of it. Yeah. You know? But did you start selling a, another contract at the same time with someone no, else? No, actually, uh, the governor's office, Governor Carney's office, reached out to me and asked me if I would work on helping organize their family services cabinet council. So the governor did an executive order to create something called the Family Services Cabinet Council. Which they is had awesome. This, it's they had this huge kind of list of priorities right like everything from community violence to employment um all sorts of things at the time his chief of staff reached out to me and said would i come back to help manage that would i come back and lead lead this family services cabinet council and i said well i can't i just started a company but i'll do it through the company all right and so um that's how we got our second contract wow um, working with the state yeah and that just continued on then yeah it grew into many other things you know like that is where kind of all of a lot of opportunity. So we tried to just, my philosophy on life is like, just do a really good job with whatever's in front of you. And I felt like we tried to do that with that work and it grew into relationships with other state agencies and kind of, we obviously hired up and hired smart people and like have done, you know, what I think is really good work for lots of different state agencies since then. Yeah. Were you hiring full-time employees or were they uh, contractors? It started as like a lot of 1099s yeah. and stuff, yeah. as many businesses do. And now we've got employees. We've okay. Last year we were able to kind of make, really put an, we really put an emphasis on making that shift, right? Like we were like, we got to get off 1099s for all, all sorts of reasons. You know, well, like well, yeah, go through culture. a few of them. I mean, well, 1099 workers are not company employees, obviously, and you can't treat them like employees. Yeah. And so it's convenient to work with 1099 workers when you're first getting started. Right. The, just the ease of it all. But then once you start to develop a company culture and company norms and, you know, really getting into your products and services and wanting them delivered in a certain way, 1099 doesn't work anymore. You know, you need them for discrete things. Yeah. Not for, you know, the bread and butter of the business. Yeah. Once you know what that is, you know. So last year we made this really big push to just stop. Unless it was for something, you know, Discreet, like yeah, I said, yeah. Point focused, yeah. And we did that, and we've only got a couple now for very, like I said, very discreet things. It's, I think it's helped a lot in us just, well, I think it helps in lots of different ways. You know, with culture, with, uh, and sometimes some of our 1099 workers have became employees, which was great, right. you know, and they right. wanted that, you know, right. so that was great too. But yeah, that was a whole It's got to be amazing to like bring everyone together then as a team it is. to build that yeah. kind of thing. And I think I, I was just pleased that like they really appreciated it, you know, like yeah. a few of them, like they really wanted to be an employee and I was like, that's a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it was cool. And yeah. what's your role developed in 
to since my role yeah the company well it's still developing yeah <laughs> so i started as like the employee the only employee because at the time cat was still working in her nonprofit that okay. she was at for like the first year mm-hmm. and then we hired a 1099 which was ron who's my current partner okay. uh, business partner each year we kind of added more employees okay. i remember we hired our first employee actual employee and she's still with us oh cool um and each year we kind of added to that or doubled that really my role now has kind of shifted in from like the primary uh, consultant for the firm to like 25 percent of my time is consulting maybe more Mm. and the rest is trying to figure out the big company problems you know Mm. like whatever we're up against or yeah do you remember when that switch happened no because it's still it's like a gradual (laughs) it's like it's like it well even today like i'm like i'm spending way too much time doing consulting work and not enough time doing the business owner work you know and that's a that's a hard balance to learn to strike and i feel like i i started last year trying to figure that out for the first time like intentionally and now i'm i feel like every day you're still trying to figure it out you know how do i get out of the day-to-day client work and get into more of the business leadership role yeah um, and it's tough when uh i always found it was tough because you're very good at your job just you could solve this problem faster probably than one of your employees who's still trying to figure it out yeah but if you don't let them solve it and let them experience some of the pain, you're still in this spot. Yeah. And so you almost have to agree that the project might take a little longer or, yeah. you know, they're going to get to this answer eventually, but that's the only way they're going to learn how to do it. Yeah. I had a boss that anytime I screwed something up, like if there was a typo or whatever, he could have easily fixed it, but he would just send it back and say, hey, there's a typo there or <laughs> you spelled this wrong or something. And then I would have to send it back again. And so he, he sort of taught me to, to do that myself. But I think as a business owner, making that shift from being a direct billable employee, mm-hmm. one of the key contributors that way to trying to contribute in non-billable ways is, mm-hmm. always, is always tough. Yeah. Uh, we always, like for us at our agency, for those who don't know, we, we own the Archer Group, it was like around 10, 10 people, you would see an agency, like they would sort of hit a cap at that. And that was about probably as much, we felt like it was, the leaders of the company, if they couldn't transfer over that project leadership to other people, that's about as much as they could handle mm-hmm. is 10 people of work. And you would see businesses sort of bounce up, up against that. And it was only when, like when we could sort of step back and say, we're not going to be on every project. Mm-hmm. We're not going to, you know, we might be there at the sales pitch, but we're not going to be in the room at every meeting mm-hmm. um, that we were able to really make that leap over 10 people. Mm-hmm. And at some point, some of our employees would say, if I see you bill an hour, we're doing something wrong because they wanted us out there yeah. selling kind of yeah. thing, you yeah. know, and that's, that's an and important you piece. also, you like we talk about, you always take, as owner, you kind of take the oxygen out of the room. Like everybody's looking to you to see mm-hmm. what you're going to exactly, say. Yeah. <laughs> so as much as you want to be at that meeting, if you're at that meeting, you're the only one that's going to be really talk, yeah. talking or the only one who everybody's going to be looking to. Yeah. And um, so that must have been tough as well. Yeah, well, that's 100% true. And it's, I've noticed it, like, in big meetings and small meetings and all sorts of things, right? Like, just... Oh, she's if, here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're doing something wrong. Something happened. Which is happened. really hard yeah. for me, like, because right. I've, I've, I'm so used to um, just being part of a team, you know, being part of... Well, you enjoy that. Yeah, like, and yeah. I really... And I, yeah. now that I'm like, oh, well, I have this, like, status now, right? Like, and I <laughs> yeah. don't know what to... Like, I don't really love it, you yeah. know? And I really... I struggle with when... When when I enter a picture like that, right? I'm trying to navigate this and learn how to do this well. But like when you're when that happens, 
it didn't appear to me that I guess it was a combination of things. Like part of it was like I'm a, I talk too much, so like I would go mm-hmm. into meetings and like it took me a while to realize like stop doing yeah. that. Like stop yeah. going in there and giving them all the direction. Like stop telling them how to solve this problem. Let them figure it out. So I had to like I'm still making that adjustment. You know I think I've gotten better at it in like the last six months, but like that's been a transition. And then also when I would show up to rooms, they don't talk. You know, like they just wait for me to right. say something. I'm like, how much of that is me? Yeah. And how much of that is like the culture or like, how yeah. do I get a culture where people really want to share their ideas and like, you know, say stuff and like contribute. So we've also put a lot into like trying to build that culture, which takes work, you know, like it, it's self-consciousness of like you not doing it yourself, like yeah. showing up, but like also you as the leader asking questions. So I've started showing up to meetings probably really in a very annoying way, right? Like where people will ask me stuff and I'm like, well, what do you think we should do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and sometimes it's been a big get, culture shift. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you get back an answer. They're like, oh, I would have never thought of that. <laughs> That's really smart. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. Which I've enjoyed that part. Of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you also still have to trust your gut. Yeah. Like, yeah. The agency before the Archer Group, I would defer creative decisions to the creatives. Even though I didn't think it was the right answer sometimes, or I, and I'd just be like, well, you know what? They're more creative than I am. This is why we're paying them to do that. And at Archer, I was like, I'm trusting my gut. Like, if I don't believe in something, I'm going to challenge it. Yeah. And not saying that my idea is going to win, sure. but you've got to tell me why what I'm saying is wrong. Yeah. And because and, I've done this a little bit. And so trying to find a way to do that, asking those questions, yeah. uh, gets them to get to the right answer, which may not be your answer, but... Your answer is based on a lot of experience as well. Yeah. Well, and that's been interesting because at some moment, like we've, du- like I said, we've doubled basically in size since we started, which is a lot. And then at some moment I realized like last, within the last year that everybody we hired never worked in government really. And huh. I was like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what did I like set this myself up for? Yeah. Like, they don't know the client, you know, yeah. they don't know what it's like to be the client. Right. Which is like what I think. I understood all along, but maybe didn't appreciate, you know, like about my own experience was like, I actually really knew our clients. Right. I knew what they wanted. I knew what their experience was like. I knew what their headaches were. Like, it was just so easy for me to navigate that. And they didn't know that, you know, and they, and they're trying to learn it now, you know, and I'm like, man, maybe we need to, okay, maybe we need to adjust our hiring approach because we hired really smart people from all different sorts of experiences, which is great. Right. And I want to continue that. And we should always continue like that diverse perspective, but you have to have like, if most of our clients are government, like you got to have people in the room who know what their headaches are, you know, yeah. and know how to manage those relationships. There's and a bureaucracy like, and that yeah. the idea might be good, but it's still got to exactly. go through it. Yeah. 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 Wow. So that was a big learning that I had. <laughs> Where are you now? Where, um, meaning, so you just made a move into Philly. That's yeah. a big... Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, we're excited about that. Tell, like, how did that come about Especially and why? Especially in this era of remote work. Yeah. To say I'm going to open another office far away from my, my current office. Yeah. Well, luckily, it's not that far. It's just one train. <laughs> We're at a train station. It's at the other one. So okay. it's, uh, and, and co-working spaces make that super affordable and easy. So that's been great. Oh, true. Um, so it, mainly it was because we had some Philly clients now, governmental clients, and then we... And some nonprofits, and then we also had a bunch of staff that were from Philly, so they lived up there already. And we we're like, okay, so either they're commuting down here, you know, whatever amount of times a week or a month or whatever, or we can open a space up there and really put our energy into building our business up in Philadelphia. And so that's kind of where we're at now. It's okay. like we're kind of experimenting with it, low stakes, relatively low yeah. stakes. Yeah, uh, it's been great. So 
really love the space that we're in up there and we've had some great clients up there and are looking for more. So like the whole goal is like, okay, well that's one way to enter a market, you know? And then we also have uh, a big client in Allegheny County, which is where Pittsburgh is. So we're kind of trying to figure out like, how do we enter that market? You know, a a big like kind of core client helps make that a little easier. Um, And so we're kind of figuring out like, well, what does our, what does that mean for our hiring plan? Or what does that mean for our business development strategy? And like, does that change because now we want to focus on Allegheny County? And so it's kind of cool. We're trying to figure out growing by location yeah. at this yeah. point. And don't we don't have any any answers right now. We're just trying stuff. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what about the culture? Did you have any challenges taking your culture from here to Philly or get keeping them in sync? I think the bigger thing that we're trying to figure out is not necessarily the Philadelphia culture side of it, but just the culture now that the pandemic's over. Okay. You know, like we we grew throughout the pandemic i mean we were a, a fraction of the size that we are now in the beginning of the pandemic i think we had like five maybe not even 10 employees when the pandemic started now we have 20 something yeah and so most people that came into the company were accustomed to like remote work mm-hmm. when the pandemic you know when it started and so now we're trying to figure out like okay well there's a lot of we our hypothesis is and others right there's a lot of value in like being in person and yeah. we've seen it. And so what does that mean for clients? What does that mean for our staff? How do we like go from like a mostly rem- remote work environment to like not so much remote work? Yeah. Yeah. That's been the bigger thing. Less than less more that and less the Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. Thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about like what I enjoyed. One of the things I enjoyed most about Archer was the culture. Yeah. And I felt like that was something that clients wanted to work with us because they believed in our culture or they, they wanted a so attach onto that. I just don't know how we would have done it if we were battling remote work. Yeah, you know? it's hard. Yeah. yeah. And Do I don't you, have the answer yet. You know, like, yeah. I'm trying to figure that out because even even with our management staff, that's another story. It's like we went from no management staff to, like... You hired your... <laughs> a lot the of person you used to re- <laughs> The person you used to report to, you hired them. Yeah, so my old boss in Governor Markel's office, I hired... Uh, Within the last year, I would yeah. say Drew Fennell. She's amazing. Yeah. Everybody knows Drew around here. I felt like, wow, why does my <laughs> old boss want to work at my company? Yeah. But she's amazing. She's an amazing person. Um, and I've learned, she was such a great mentor and coach to me when I worked for her that I, I just knew that she would be a wonderful mentor and coach, not just to me still, but like also to the staff. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a cool yeah. thing that happened to me. <laughs> yeah. And she's great. But yeah, so I mean, the, I forget where I started with the management staff thing. Oh, we're talking yeah. about remote work. And, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and and we had our management team in um, from different places last week, and it was just so valuable in such a short amount of time mm-hmm. that I feel like sometimes you experience your own calls and stuff and people don't want to speak up. It's like the, that's the culture side of it that's like you can't replicate online. Yeah. You know, like people just – it's just a totally different energy and experience. Yeah. Even when video. you're in person, yeah. it's just so, e- so much easier, you know. So now we're trying to figure out, like, what does that mean? What do we want our office culture to mean? You know, what do we want it to mean in Philadelphia? Now that right. we have an office there, what do we want it to mean here? If we open somewhere else, you know, what, right. like, we, how, do we, how do we create enough of that ex- in-person experience to, like, scratch the itch and do the work? Yeah. But not take away people's lifestyle. Because yeah. I do think that people have really appreciated some element of remote work. I know I have. Yeah. But it comes at a cost. So how do you, like, kind of balance that out? Yeah. Yeah, that's For what we're sure. trying to figure out. That's a challenge everybody's trying to figure yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And you had kids during the whole development of yeah. building this thing. I was trying to think of all the challenges you had while the development of this wasn't a straight line. No. But you did it, yeah. yeah. I had, well, when I started the company, my son was, I think, three. 
then we adopted a daughter. So mm. like within the first year of the company, yeah. which was a whole thing. And so my daughter was nine when we adopted her. And now she's 14, yeah. which is a whole, you know, anyway, a whole thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my son's eight now. But yeah, I mean, I, and adoption is really hard. And that was really challenging. I thought my life was challenging when I had a three-year-old. And then I adopted a child who was like nine years old. Yeah. Um, and that came with its own set of challenges. And so it was really hard. Yeah. Like I remember early on when I was working for Governor Carney and the Family Services Cabinet Council, I used to like, I would get sick because I was so stressed at home. Mm. I would get, I would, like I remember I would have to go in front of all these cabinet secretaries, talk about intimidating, you know, like yeah. I would have to lead this meeting with all of his cabinet, wow. almost all of it. And you had to be on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I worked for Governor Markell, I just had one little slice. I just had to work on education policy, you know, and I just was, and people would call upon me and I would, you know, chime in. But with Governor Carney, he gave me an amazing opportunity, which helped me learn and grow the business, really. I had to be on with, like, 11 different cabinet secretaries and him, you know? And, and sitting I through those to meetings, they are not, like, yeah, <laughs> they're not, like, the, oh, relax, like, they everyone's were, And they great. were my client. They were yeah. my, like, my first, one of my second client, and I just wanted to do such a good job with them. Sure. I would just get really sick, you know? The stress of home, you know, and trying to, like, show up for work was really hard. Yeah. Really, really hard in the beginning. I mean, it's still hard, but, yeah, you know. Yeah. But yeah. you made it through it, so yeah, yeah, I did it. It's fine. <laughs> so somewhere out there is the next Megan. She's sitting in the office of the governor or the cabinet. Or brouhaha. Or <laughs> <laughs> And a change will come up here in the next year or so, whatever. And she wants to know what to do next. What do you tell her? I would just tell her to try something. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, my dad used to tell me, your reputation is all you have. Like that's, he used to say that to me all the time. And then he used to tell me something else, which was like, whoever's toes you step on today might belong to the person whose ass you got to kiss tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> which I think are two great lessons for Delaware Absolutely. in general. Yeah. <laughs> the state is so freaking unique. Yeah, it's really space. small. Yeah. So, which I think is good, especially for entrepreneurs, because it's like you have to be a little careful, but not, not uh, it doesn't mean you shouldn't try stuff and take risks and kind of get out there and, and see what happens. Yeah. So I would tell that person, you know, just, I don't know, try it. Yeah, and know? it's going to be an easy path. You'll have all the money in the world. All the <laughs> Adopt the kid during the way. You know? Just get started. You know? exactly. Just try something, see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about your new business partner. Oh, yeah, Ron Barry. So Ron was, so when Kat and I had started the company, Ron was our first, like, person we reached out to, and I actually didn't know Ron. Kat knew him from kind of the entrepreneurial space in Wilmington back in the day. Apparently there's this chapter of Wilmington entrepreneur space that I don't know about and wasn't a part of that happened with like, what was that? There was like an early co-working space. Coin loft. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Coin loft. That was you, yeah. right? Well, the coin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So somehow she met Ron in that world that I didn't live in. Okay. She said, Hey, do you, I, we could, and honestly, the reason was like, I was ready to kill Kat. And I mean that in a loving way. Like <laughs> I just was like, she was, she was kind of directing me and I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. You know, Lee like, and I no. never went through that. <laughs> <laughs> And so, because she was kind of working part-time, and I was working full-time, and she, and, you know, we needed help, right? Because I was working, I had just gotten the, the contract with the state. And so, I wanted to divert my attention away from, like, the, the first project, or I needed help to do both. And so, she's like, let's bring Ron in. And I said, who's Ron? Like, I don't know this guy. She said, well, let's meet him at Dead Presidents. Oh, okay. <laughs> on Union Street. Yeah. 
And so I remember, like, we went there and we met Ron, and mainly I was just focused on, like, I need somebody to come help. And, like, is this guy, like, competent? Can he, like, do it? And he was great. Yeah. Ron had more of a business background. So he had worked for, like, a company that had, that had grown and then sold while he was there. Kind of was just doing some of his own entrepreneurial stuff. Like, he had a contract with DOE at one point, And I didn't know any of this at the time, but as Ron and I got to know each other, Ron filled, like, I I knew our clients, but Ron knew business, you know, like, he knew how to, like, build a budget and, like, deal with cash flow issues and, like, all those more technical things that I just was totally aloof to at the time, and um, I came to really appreciate him, and then at some point, Kat and I both came to really appreciate him as balancing the two of us out, and so we brought him in as the third partner. Okay. Um, And so he's now him and i own the company together okay he's a great guy that's great yeah and what's what's the future for for like 10 years out you know in every state or do you think about that oh yeah we think about that i mean i i think i think we're still trying to figure out like how do you grow in a way that's smart you know into new locations or Mm -hmm. like what does that mean and we've got clients kind of randomly all over the place right now and we're trying to figure out well like I said earlier, you know, like how do you enter a market meaningfully? Like, do yeah. you, if you have a big client here, like we were calling them kind of like an anchor client, you know, if you have, if you've able to build that, like, then do you kind of really try to like penetrate that market meaningfully? Do you make hires there? Do you, do you put a footprint there? That kind of stuff. Do you try to do all your business development there? And so we're trying to figure out that question, right? Like, do you grow geographically that way? And then also, I think we're just, we're trying to kind of stabilize because we've had a lot of growth in a short amount of time and it just feels like a lot. And there just feels like really important questions we have to answer for ourselves as an organization, products and services, you know, like expertise internally, like how you organize your staff. Like there's all these questions we're trying to figure out now that I just feel like we're, we can't continue to hit that same level of growth and build a good company. Yeah. 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 So we're trying to kind of balance this. This year I feel like is the balancing year. Yeah. You know, where we start to, dig into some of that that's uh, good yeah that's good. good stuff yeah this has been great any, yeah any, absolutely yeah um, any parting thoughts that you yeah. wish to share well i think i think it would be really important for entrepreneurs to think about the relationship with government government yeah because government and business like live and live in these like separate worlds and i feel like it's it they don't come together very well all the time but government relies on business regularly mm-hmm. right to do its work like they outsource tons of work and the quality of that outsourcing is like really dependent on that market you know like whatever businesses exist in that market to fulfill that government need and i just don't feel like there's enough innovation yeah right in terms of government contracts or government contractors to go around so i i really like i don't i would encourage people from government to think about getting into business Okay. Because they, they know what government needs, right? Like, and they know that there's not a market for it, right? There's yeah. not people out there that they can always go to, to to give the right services. That's how social contracts started, yeah. right? And I just feel like there's plenty of room for growth there. So and and I think even on the other side, what you're referring to is like also on the business side to, I break this rule all the time, um, but to really understand the way government's operating. Yeah. I had a great breakfast with Jason Clark. We were talking about the CIO for the state. And... You might think you know the way that his life has to be is going during that day. Oh, we just <laughs> sell you a printer or whatever. Yeah. But that printer's got to be hooked up with 16 different devices. Oh, yeah. And by the way, there's security. And then, all the, by the way, you've got all the eyes on you of spending this money and stuff. It's, it's really, really hard to yeah. 
understand it from their perspective. So it's fascinating. And government's got big problems to solve and like yeah. doesn't always have the tools to do it. Yeah. And it's kind of dependent on like who raises their hand. Yeah. That's the way government's set up, right? Like they're yeah. set up to like put out bids and then the market just has to respond. And I feel like a lot of times like there's so much opportunity out there, right? Like for businesses to appeal to government and government really needs what they're what they're providing. Yeah. And those things don't come together the way that they, they should. Right? Yeah. And and that's important that that somehow that happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, great. I don't think awesome. it's all that insightful, but no, I think it's perfect. No, good. Think it's good. Yeah. But thank you, Megan, for coming yeah. on here. I've always wanted Thanks to hear that me. story come out that, yeah. um, of how you actually got started. And then, <laughs> no, it's been but, fun. Yeah. Awesome. Fun. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm going to press this big red button. There you go. All right. <laughs> <laughs>